0: If you've been over off of Fulton Street or uh, just behind off on Ridge Avenue, just behind the Mambo Grill, we have a building over there that uh, everybody in the community is extremely excited about because nobody has wanted to see that building torn down. And uh, uh, we don't want to see it torn down either. That's why God gave it to us so that we can restore it. And I don't think it speaks. God wants to use it to speak to people, to let them know that he's in the restoring business. Not just restoring buildings, but restoring lives and restoring communities. So um, a lot of good has, has happened. We've, we've got the old fellowship hall torn away. It's out of the way. But we're at a point right now where we've got to do something, and um, we've negotiated a, a fair price for the, for the property behind the building. They're ready to accept an offer, but they've got to have financing in place. And uh, that's where we've kind of uh, run into something. And and I just want to tell you that God has a plan. Uh, We have at this point about $10,000 in our building fund. Uh, We need $50,000 to make an offer on the property. So, uh, you know, we've done all we can do at this point. Uh, uh, But, you know, I, I want to present it to you. Now, Moses, when he was building the tabernacle, God told him, to go before the people and to tell them what his needs were. He said, we need this and this and this and this. You know, we need so much gold. We need so much silver. We need so much cloth. We need these many skins. We need this. We need that. And so the people started giving. And there was such an overwhelming response to their giving that finally the priest came to to Moses and said, look, uh, we've got to ask them to stop because there's been so much stuff given now, we haven't had that problem. It would be a great problem to have. We haven't yet reached that point. But, you know, God is able. And I want to tell you something. When I when I talked to the realtor the other day, um, immediately I, I called several of the banks. And uh, the banks didn't seem overwhelmingly eager to loan us the money because we haven't been around long enough. We're not attached to any major denomination that could back us. So, therefore... Well, we're in a good place. That means that we get to trust God. And we don't have to depend upon the arm of the flesh. We can trust the Lord. How many know God is able? When I talked to the banks and I uh, spoke with them, um, you know, I I was a little bit puzzled in my spirit. And I thought, Lord, what are we going to do? So the Lord just laid it upon my heart to go up to the property. And I went up there and to walk the property seven times and pray. So I'm walking around the property praying and uh, just walking. And each time that I was walking around, I, I just literally stood in every corner of the property and looked at it and visualized what God had given us in my spirit and what I could see that God's wanting us to do in this community. And, and you know, just seeing it from from different angles, kind of like a... Uh, an architect or something, going out and looking. Of course, I'm not an architect. You know, I can't even draw a good stick figure. But uh, uh, I could see it. You know, vision is that. Vision is seeing. And I could see what God was wanting to be there. Now, Psalm 127.1 says this. What does it say? It says, Lest the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who try to build it. How many believe that God is building the house? So are we building in vain? No. We know that God is in control, so we're at a good place. We get to trust the Lord to see God move. And we shortchange God sometimes, and God just reminded me in Haggai, it says that the gold is mine and the silver is mine. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. The reason I'm telling you that is because I want you to understand God sees things from a different perspective. We see it from a perspective of need. God sees it from a perspective of overabundant supply. If you've ever read the Word of God, which I hope you have, you see how God always superabundantly supplies. Like, if, for instance, you know when 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 the uh, the prophet um, one of the prophets help me out here a minute not uh, not Elijah but Elisha. I always get those two mixed up. But Elisha, the prophet, had some prophets come into his house for dinner, and he was going to be do- you know, having the school of the prophets and this kind of thing. And he had way more prophets than he had food. He only had about maybe a dozen little bitty uh, loaves about the size of a hamburger bun to feed all of these prophets. You know, 50 prophets can eat a lot of, money, uh, eat a lot of food. I mean, that's just not going to get it done for those guys. And so his servant comes to him and says, this is all we got, just these little barley loaves. And he says, well, break them up and serve them. And so they broke them up and they served them. And guess what? There was more than enough. Remember in, in Matthew when Jesus fed the multitudes with the fish and the bread? And what happened when he fed the 5,000? Anybody remember what happened? When it was done, there were 12 baskets Left over now, the math doesn't make sense because when they started, they only had five loaves and two fish, not big fish either. Because a little boy brought them, you know, it was his lunch. These, I mean, enough lunch for one little boy fed five thousand people, five thousand men, not counting the women and the children. And then there were twelve baskets left over. See what happens when you operate in faith and you believe God. And then again there were three thousand, and jesus fed them again same scenario people needed food nothing was there what have you got well we got some fish and some bread well he takes that and he feeds them and then there's seven baskets left over so what what is the overlying principle god is always able more than able and ephesians 3 20 says that he's Exceedingly, abundantly able to do above and beyond anything we can ask or think. So knowing that God is able, I don't push the panic button. You know, we just push the prayer button. You know, God's phone number is Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Call upon me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things that you know not. So we just go to the Lord, we present it to him, and we wait. What does it say in Psalm 4610? What does it say? Come on, help me out now. It says, get all excited, get aggravated, and know that he's God. Is that what it says? It says, be still and know that I am God. So what we do is we wait on the Lord and see what God is doing. Now, he expects us to do our part. There had to be somebody to come to Jesus to bring some fish and bread. But they brought it, and God multiplied it. So my my appeal to you today is, you know, if we all do something, God is able to take what we do and build on it. So I'm asking you to pray what you can do toward giving toward the building fund. We've had some people that have been awfully faithful in giving to the building fund. We have some who haven't given anything yet. But, God, you've been kind of waiting on me. I know that. To say, we need it. So here it is, we need it, we need you to respond, and we need you to, to respond generously. I would like to be able to say in a couple Sundays, hey guys, hold up, you know, we've got too much coming in, all the banks are full, they just can't take any more, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we've got more than enough, enough we need. So, you know, I, I want to tell you how faith works. You know, the trying of your faith builds patience. Waiting on the Lord, it it causes it helps us to wait on the Lord. When your faith is tried, you know. Have you ever tried something? You know, it's to prove it, try it. You know, it's, it's like I was I was talking to Holly this morning. She was telling me about her wonderful Wiener Schnitzel, whatever that stuff is. Yeah, Wiener Schnitzel is that it? Wiener Schnitzel. Yeah, we in America we say Wiener Schnitzel. She says Wiener Schnitzel. Well, I've never had Wiener Schnitzel. She said it's good. She says real good. Yeah, well, see, that's just it. I don't believe you till I go and try it. <laughs> no, I know it'll be good. Because you said it'll be good. But when I see it manifested, then I'll know. But I'm believing in the meantime you're gonna follow through on what you said you'd do. And I believe she'll do it because she's a trustworthy person. So I will have Wiener Schnitzel. And it will be good, because she says it is. But I want to try it. Try. The trying of your faith works patience. So when our faith is tried. You see, God causes our faith to be built upon those circumstances of, of, of putting us in positions where we have to trust him. And it's a great place to be, because God always comes through. And it's always wonderful to look back and see what God does. It's just incredible. My wife and I have been in that situation many times. You know, I, I remember one missions trip that we were scheduled to go on. And uh, the day before we were supposed to leave out, we still owed on our plane ticket and everything else. We, we needed $1,100 to go on this trip. We didn't bother to tell anybody or anything, but God spoke to someone. And they called us up the night before we would leave and presented us with a check for $1,100. So praise God. So God is always super abundantly able to to meet us at our point of need and to take care of it. But he uses people to do it. So I just wanted to to let you know where we are. Um, I, I just want to kind of give you a kind of a bird's eye view. I don't have it on paper. I wish I did. I wish I had a picture. But just imagine in your mind for just a moment what it's going to look like when we have that building finished and completed over there. I can see it so plainly. It's so beautiful. The floors in that place are are just amazing. The architecture on the inside with the gothic beams and all of that. You know, some people look at it and they're like, you guys are really going to restore this thing? I said, yeah, can't you see it? And they're like, good luck. But, you know, we can see it. We can see it through the eye of faith. vision. God has given us a vision for it. God has given us a vision for that community. God obviously wants us there because he's put this in our hands. And so we're going to make it happen. But we're not going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen in cooperation with God because he's going to make it happen. But we've got to do our part. I just wanted to let you know about that. Because, you know, I want to talk to you this morning about being a God pleaser. You know what pleases God? Yeah, I yeah. Hebrews. 11 and 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is what pleases God. But I want to talk to you about some things that that really don't please God. Because, you know, we're living in a day when there's a blatant attempt... To discredit God, or to disavow, or or to say that He doesn't even exist, but and and, and where where sin is no longer used to describe things that we do, uh, we we describe sin this way: I made a mistake. Yeah, you know we make mistakes. Well, no. You know, um, when I was in school and I would do math, I made a lot of mistakes. Because I didn't quite know the formulas. I didn't quite understand. So there was a lack of understanding. And so when I attempted to do the math, sometimes I get the numbers mixed up and maybe being a little bit dyslexic dyslexic or whatever, I might change the numbers around and I would come up with the wrong answer. That's a mistake. (laughs) But I tell you, what is not a mistake is when we know what we're doing and we do it anyway. We willingly disobey. I, I got tickled because uh, Russ put something on Facebook. Can I share that, Russ? That's just so cool. But, he, he, you know, he, he said that, that he was talking to some, some folks and, and, and just, just thinking, and he kind of thinks outside the box about some guys that were kind of into like the gothic scene and and uh, punk rock and this kind of thing and they've got they're beginning to have children now and he's looking at the kids and and he's thinking well when these kids grow up how are they going to rebel against the parents because they're taught all their life to rebel that's the lifestyle that they live in so are they going to become Christians are they going to be like to mom and dad I want to honor you whatever you say mom and dad you know I want to love you and honor you and, and, and you know yes I'll be in at 11 o'clock even though you don't want me to be <laughs> I'll eat all of my spinach you know I will obey because in, in, in that sense it would be rebellion against the parents don't you obey me boy haven't I taught you better you know, but really, this, this is kind of the world that we're living in where, where sin is described as making a mistake and there are no clear moral standards. And it's easy to get duped into becoming swallowed up in the notion that sin is something of the past and it's no longer used to define the failures of so many people who ignore, ignore the word of God and find themselves tangled and ensnared in the fruits of their own behavior. Because the word of God says, be not mocked for, or, or be not deceived, for God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we sow into the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow into the spirit, we reap into life eternal. So there's a principle there. So um, in, in Isaiah chapter 30. Verses 9 through 11 in the Amplified Bible, it says, God said, for this is a rebellious people, faithless and lying sons, children who will hear the law and instructions of the Lord, who virtually say to the seers by their conduct, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceitful illusions. Get out of the true way, turn aside out of the path, and cease holding up before us the Holy One of Israel. Does that not speak of this current generation where, you know, so many would rather hear you not speak the truth, not confront with sin, not confront things that, that in our lives that are destructive, that, that cause us pain and cause us uh, to, to lose a, our fellowship with God? But rather tell us things that we want to hear. That's what they were saying. That is exactly the same thing. Don't don't prophesy to us the truth. Tell us what we want to hear. And 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 we're living in that kind of day when when there are masses that are gathering to have their ears tickled. Just tell us what we want to hear. Don't tell us the truth. Don't talk to us about repentance. Don't talk to us about about a uh, uh, God. Don't talk to us about what what happens to us when we sin and and they don't want to hear a message of repentance rather they would rather have a motivational message and smooth and deceitful illusions but god promised that a time would come he told the people of israel through isaiah that a time would come when they would cry out to him and he would cause them to hear a voice in verse 21 it says and your ears will hear a word behind you saying this is the way walk in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left this is the way, walk in it. And that's what I want to declare to you. What is the way? What is what is God saying? What does God want us to do? The Apostle Paul had this to say to the church at Ephesus. And, the, you know, this, the city of, of Ephesus would, would be like most of the modern cities in our world today. I mean, most of the major cities, you know, are, uh, are, are pretty much the same, filled with, with all kinds of, of vices and, and houses of ill repute and places we can go and things we can get into that are not in line with God's word. And this is the way Ephesus was. I mean, it was a city that was full of, of gross immorality and drunkenness and, 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 and uh, sodomy and you name it, rebellion. Well, you kind of get the picture of what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God. Now, this is Paul speaking to the church. Be imitators of God. Dearly, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And verse three says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are not proper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, Foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, coarse jesting there could be described as double talk. You know, where you kind of are saying something and you're making an implication without actually using profanity or anything like that. You know, what what would we call that? Sarcasm? No, not sarcasm exactly, but maybe, um, well, you, you know, it, it's like kind of telling a dirty joke without it getting too dirty. Without using the language. But you know what you know what the meaning of it is, the connotation of it comes out. So he says, and, and so uh, he says, there should, be, there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person which such man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of life consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, And verse 10 is where we really want to go today. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed to the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. And verse 15 says, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, God has given us everything that we need that pertains to righteousness. We have the word of God. We have the truth of the gospel. So really there's no excuse for us not to be what God says that he demands us to be. Be holy for I am holy. One of the attributes of God, the chief attribute of God is his holiness. You know, when, when, the, when the, the, the four and twenty elders are before the throne of God, and, and when John sees in the book of Revelation, he sees a revelation of the throne of God, what does he see? He sees the four and twenty elders who are constantly before him, and they are always crying out, love, love, love. What are they saying? They're describing the attributes of God, but they're not saying love, love, love. They're saying, holy, 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 holy. That's all they're saying is holy because God is altogether holy. He is consecrated and set apart. That's what he demands of us, that we be consecrated and set apart. To realize that we're in this world, we're not of it. We are called to a different standard than the world lives by. He's calling us to be holy. That's not a very popular message these days. It doesn't draw the big crowds, but it's exactly what we need to hear because that's what God is looking for in us. If we're going to please God, we have to, by faith, come to that place of holiness and holy living. Holiness without no man shall see the Lord. That is the chief attribute of God and we are created in his image. And when we are recreated and old things uh, pass away, behold, all things become new. What are we being created into? The image of Christ. We're being drawn into the light of his goodness and his holiness where we change and we're transformed by the renewal of our mind into that state of being Christ-like. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We begin to think differently. We begin to live differently. We begin to talk differently. Our lives change. Now, if you're a place in your life, and you may have prayed the sinner's prayer, you might have your name on a church roll, you might be a faithful tither. But if there hasn't been a difference made in your life, then something is wrong. You have not yet begun to walk in faith and believe God and see the challenge of of rising to what God wants us to be. God's calling us to a different place in Him. He wants us to be seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He wants us to understand what it is and, and know what it is that pleases Him and know what it is that He demands of us. Find out what pleases the Lord. So many people are worried about what others think and uh, others think, and they're driven by popular opinion and what we call pop culture. Why do we call it pop culture? Well, because it's popular, because it pops up and then it pops away. It's constantly changing. Our culture is constantly changing, and what's popular now wasn't popular two weeks ago. We're in such a change and such a flux of change and everything else. And our world is constantly changing and, and new ideas and new thoughts. I mean, when's the last time you heard someone, you know, uh, uh, to, to kind of excitedly exclaim something to be cool? Oh, man, that's cool. That's kind of passe. I mean, old people say that. You know? I remember one time I was in church after I just first got saved, and, 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 and one of my hippie friends had been invited to come to church with us. And, and I knew this guy, you know, from when, and, and, you know, back in the day, my BC days, and he had not yet come to Christ, but he did go to church with us. And we're sitting in church, and we're having this Easter cantata thing. And we're a small church, so we had to be innovative and come up with new ideas and things to, to, you know, we couldn't do like big cantatas and stuff. But we did this cool little thing. So we had like a silhouette. We had a sheet in front of, a, uh, of and, and there was some guys behind the, seat, the sheet, and they were acting out the life of Jesus all the way up to the crucifixion. It was kind of neat, you know, because you can look, by, you know, you see their, their shadow kind of through the light and all this. It was a very creative way to do it. But we had someone playing the organ, and you know, we don't have an, well, we do have an organ here, but it's not hooked up, so we really don't use it, but but we did in those days because you know that was before you could actually have drums in the church and everybody be okay with it. <laughs> you had to really be saved to accept drums or <laughs> so anyway. She's up there doing providing the sound effects on the organ. And I'd like to say that, you know, she was another Billy Preston and you knew just what to do with the keys on that thing. But that wasn't exactly the case. She kind of struggled along. But when it got to the point of the crucifixion where Jesus had died on the cross and when he hung his head and he died, you know, it says there was an earthquake. And so she was trying to provide the sound effects for it. And this guy, we called him Rabbit. That's all I ever knew him by. I never knew his name, but we called him Rabbit. I'm sure there was a reason But He's just sitting there He's taking this all in And when we get to the crucifixion scene and, and Jesus dies on the cross And she starts going Up on that organ You know And it's just making some God awful noises And he just kind of looks up at me And he goes Far out man <laughs> I just lost it man I just lost it. I'll never forget it, but that was an expression. But expressions change. Everything changes. Pop culture changes every day. I mean, it's it's constantly changing. You know, just just about the time I get to really liking something on the radio, musical change. It goes through. Everything's changing. Pop culture is that way. So ideas change. Ideologies change. And even morals have changed. Have you noticed that? And there are no moral standards. There are no absolutes. And I remember back shortly after I graduated high school or got out of high school, however you want to put it, uh, there there came this this teaching into the public schools where they were talking about absolutes. You know, there are no absolutes and so everything was was deemed as 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 a situational ethics you know they would teach situational ethics you're in a boat there are five people you got the president you got the pope you got this person you got that person the boat starts sinking who do you get rid of first you know situational ethics and those kind of things making you think and this kind of stuff well, you know, I, I don't know exactly how to answer that question. I guess you just all hang on for dear life and pray and just expect a miracle. That's the way I'd handle it. But, you know, that's not exactly the way it was taught. But the, the, the bottom line is you get to a point where there are no moral absolutes. There are no absolutes. And so, therefore, there's no standard. And then you can begin to rip, rip apart what is the standard. And so, therefore, we've taken God out of the equation. To say that there is no God, which God is the standard for which there are absolutes. Because God is absolutely altogether holy and righteous. And if we can disavow God, if we can take him out of the picture, then we don't have to answer to him. We don't have to answer to anybody. And I think at the very crux of it all, at the very center of it all, is man's rebellion against God. It gets back to that old age old thing of rebellion against God. Because we don't want to hear what God says. And that's exactly what the people of Isaiah's day were saying. Don't tell us the truth. Don't tell us what is right. Give us illusions. Give us smooth talk. Give us what we want to hear. Politicians do it all the time. And you know we promise everything. In order to get your vote and deliver nothing. But I don't want to talk about politics today. I want to talk about truth. I want to talk about being a God-pleaser. But, but you know, there's several verses in this passage that stands out. All of them do, but but some in particular. Number one is, verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And I've heard that heard it said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I mean, don't you love it when somebody, you know, the, tries to copy something that you're doing? I mean, it just makes you feel good. You know, hey, they'll learn something. I get it right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but children love to imitate their parents, especially if they have a loving relationship. You know, little boys love to do what their daddies do. Little girls like to imitate their mamas. And that's the sincerest form of flattery. That just shows that you're doing it right. And so for us to want to imitate God says that God's love speaks to us. It makes us want to imitate him. And so that word imitate in the Greek is the word mimetes, M-I-M-E-T-E-S. It means to mimic. It means to imitate, knowing that God loves us and that his love is the most prominent attribute. Paul goes on to say, live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And if we'll sincerely fall in love with Jesus, it'll change the way that we live. Jesus said, if you Love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's the, that's the acid test. That's the litmus test as to whether we love the Lord God, uh, Lord God or not. Do we love him? If we do, then we have a desire to please him. And so Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. But in verse 3, Paul says, and I'll read this from the Amplified Bible, he says, But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living, or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. It should not even be named among you. Now, when we, when we talk about our mistakes rather than admitting our sin... We do what John says in 1 John 1 and 8. Well, what verse 7 says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us of all sin. Now, what happens when we walk into the light of the gospel? It changes us, right? Because light does what? It exposes darkness. It reveals to us our sin. It reveals to us our condition. And then verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, then we do what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we, and because the light clearly identifies it, clearly exposes it, but we say, well, I don't have any sin. I made mistakes, but I'm not a sinner. No, you're a sinner. We make those mistakes because we're sinners. We sin. We, we rebel against God and, and we make missteps. And to sin is the word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. So what do we do when we miss the mark? We change the mark. We change the mark when we sin. We sin when we try in our own way to measure up to the holiness of God. But if we confess, the word confess is the word "homologeo," which means to say the same thing, to agree with God. If we re- agree with God concerning our sin, then he cleanses us, he forgives us of our sins, and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The clearest picture of this is found in the gospel of Luke, in chapter 15, I believe it is, when the prodigal son comes to his senses, and he goes back to his father. And what is he saying in himself all the way home? I'm going to go to my father, and I imagine he's rehearsing in his mind, what am I going to say when I get home to daddy? Because he's taken all of his inheritance He's rebelled against his father. He's taken all the goodness that his father's given him, and he's squandered it on riotous living. He's thrown it all away, and he knows I've got nothing to give to daddy now. If I go back, it's only going to be by his mercy and his grace that he accepts me. But I'll be willing to even serve as a slave if he'll just let me come home because even the slaves in my father's house have got it better than what I've got it right now. So he goes back home and all the way home, he's he's rehearsing in his mind, I will go to my father and I will say to him, if you'll let me come home, then I'll come and I'll serve you. But as he gets close to his father, his father immediately recognizes him. And so what does his father do? His father says, there's my son. And his father runs to him and he throws himself upon his son and he embraces his son and he restores him. You see, that's where that turning, that repentance, that turning back to God, that's where it leads us. It leads us to a place of restoration. It leads us to a place of pleasing the heart of our Father. It leads us to a place of recognizing His grace and His love and His mercy. This morning, and I shared with the folks as we were upstairs praying this morning, that this morning one of my friends put on Facebook the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And one of the things that stands out about that song more to me than anything else. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. And, and, you know, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. His mercies are new every single day to us. To me, that's the most incredible thing about the love of God is his mercy toward us. That I deserve... Hell, I deserve punishment, but God's love and his grace reaches out to me. And his mercy says, you're forgiven. And his grace says, you're restored. And what pleases him more than anything else is when I agree with him. When I step into agreement with the Father and I seek to please him by agreeing with him concerning my relationship with him. So, you know... A mistake is defined as an error or a misunderstanding. But a sin is, in fact, rebellion against God. We don't rebel because, you know, we just decide that we're going to do it. We rebel because it's our nature. It's just the way that sin has left us. But God has changed all of that. Verses 4 and 5 through 8 tell us that, that we have to got, we've got to watch the way we talk and act. We're not like to act like the rest of the world. We're not to walk, but we are to, to walk in the light. We are to be light. As a matter of fact, it, says we're, it doesn't say we are to walk in the light. It says we are to be light. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16, he says, For ye are the light of the world. You're a, a city that is set on the hill." He says that you are salt and you're light, but in verse 15 or verse 16, it says that we are to do something. What does it say? You are to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when we live a life, walking in the light, walking in the way that pleases God, it draws other people to Jesus because they see the truth of the gospel revealed in us. It's like St. Francis of Assisi said, he said, witness always when you have to use words. We witness by the way that we live our lives. We live our lives according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't do all of these things which are not proper, not fitting for Christians to do. Then it draws people to Christ and it also gives us the moral high ground. It gives us the ability to speak into the lives of people. You know, it, it, it's, it's it's one thing to say, you know, don't do this or, or do as I do, not as I say do. That's what Jesus did. He He came to his disciples and he showed them how to live. He gave them an example. He provided that for them. And we're called to be examples to unbelievers. We're called to be examples to believers. Paul told Timothy. He said, be thou an example in what? In, spirit, in purity, in speech, in your lifestyle, in the way that you live, in holiness, in righteousness. So we're, we're to be an example to those around us. But we can't do it if we're living contrary to what the word of God says. So we are the light of the world. But in verse 10, which is the key verse today, it says, find out what pleases God. Find out what pleases the world, not what pleases everybody else. Jesus talked to the, to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you're so worried about pleasing men that you can't please God. You know, you, you stand on the street corners and you you put on a show to try to please everybody else and make, try to make them see how spiritual you are, but you're not even thinking about how to please God. He said, you honor me with your lips. But your hearts are far from me. And it's not trying to to set up a a code of ethics for us to live by. Because they're already in the word. That's in our DNA. When we're born again by the spirit of God, it's already there. And so, we got to find out what pleases God. And we can do it. But we don't excuse ourselves. There are no excuses. You know what an excuse is? I told you a while back. An excuse is just... A grave. It's just a grave with the ends kicked out. It's a lie tucked within the skin of a reason. That's what excuses are. So we can't make excuses, but we're called to be God pleasers and not man pleasers. One of the benefits of being a God pleaser is this Proverbs sixteen seven. It says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Isn't that a good thing? When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And I like what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. Paul made an appeal. To the Romans, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members as faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world or this age fashioned after and adapted to his external superficial customs, but be transformed, which means to be changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the the thing good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So this, this, of course, is out of the Amplified Bible, but the appeal to Paul was that we would, we would consecrate ourselves before the Lord, that we would try to find out what it is that pleases him, and as we consecrate to him, as we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to God. Then we prove to others and we prove to ourselves what is that good and perfectly acceptable will of God for us. So we've got to tr- determine this within ourselves. How are we going to live? Kay Arthur wrote a book and it's called How Then Shall We Live? And, and she talks about it a lot about, you know, as we come to Christ and as we give our lives our, our lives to the Lord, there's a change that takes place on the inside of us that becomes internal first and then it becomes external. It just becomes a lifestyle in the spirit. And Paul calls it this in Romans chapter 8. He says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when we walk in the spirit, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Walk in the light of the spirit and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your desires change. Your, Your wants to please God supersede your desires and your own selfish wants and desires for yourself. that make sense because we are basically selfish beings and that's why jesus said if any man come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me see when we take up our cross where does the cross lead to death to self yeah jesus gave himself up he died so that we could live And therefore, we die to ourselves so that we can live in him. We can be with him. We're buried with Christ. Our identification is with that. We are buried with him through baptism. Baptism gives us a picture of that. When we're baptized in water, we go down into the water, and our old sin man is buried, and we come up in newness of life. It indicates that something has changed. We identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to pray this for you today. And I want to tell you that that we've got to stop try, trying to please ourselves and discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we'll find it. We'll find it. I, I was thinking this morning as I was as as I was just going over my notes again. And a friend of mine that I used to work for had a had a German Shepherd dog. He was a, he was a big boy. His name was Caesar beautiful dog just a beautiful dog but he had such a relationship with his master I'll never forget that that my friend worked with this dog and and he could just with just a pinky give a command and that dog was so in tune with his master that if he gave that command with his pinky he would just be all over you and you could go into the store. There was a tape across the floor in between the counters. And if you dropped any money on the floor, as long as it rolled outside that border, it was okay to pick it up. But if it stayed inside that border, don't you dare reach across and pick it up because he would be all over you. But what I'm, this dog was so, was, was so in tune with his master that with just a hand, he never had to speak a word. He could give signals with his hand. And the dog would obey. And I thought, you know, how did that dog get to that place? It took hours and hours of building that relationship with that dog and spending that time with him, giving him those commands. But that dog had to be willing and obedient to learn those commands. But the relationship was because he knew that his master loved him and took care of him and provided for him, that, that he was so in love with his master he would do anything to please him. So he was always watching his master. He was always in tune with him. And you could go into that store and that dog would be in one position all the time. Wherever his master was, he was like watching, just waiting on his master to give a signal. You know, he had a signal for go out. Let's go outside, Caesar. You know, just do that. Caesar's ready to go outside they go outside, he'd do his business, and come back in. But, what, you know, he was so in tune. How in tune are we with what God desires for us? How do we get to that place? How do we find out what pleases God? By spending time with him. By walking with him. By listening to him. Learning to hear his voice. Understand his commands. Read and study for yourself what it is he would desire for you to do. Then you have, not only do you have the revealed will that God has for the world, but soon you learn what his will is for you. And you learn what pleases him and you learn how to do it. Paul had a prayer that he prayed for the church at Colossae. I want to pray it over you this morning. Paul said, this is my prayer. And, and you know, I'm learning to make that prayer for you, to pray this for you every day. I'm going to commit to do this, to pray this constantly for you. And Paul prayed this. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of him. He wants us to be filled with his power. He wants us to be, be children of light, to know how, how to please him, how to walk in the light of the gospel truth, and how to reveal to the world the love and the grace of God the Father. And we don't have to preach all the time. We preach by the way we live our lives. You know, I've found that if I would just be what God wants me to be, I can witness to more people by accident That I do on purpose. Because people are wanting to know. I want to tell you something, folks. People are dying to know the truth. They literally are. They want to know the truth. So it behooves us to tell them. To be willing always to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. To live our lives in such a way that we are are seasoned and, 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 and we season our speech with the grace of God and we tell others about the love of Jesus. Don't be afraid to share the gospel with others. But I tell you what negates our ability to share the gospel is when we don't do those things that are pleasing to the Father. When we are not walking in obedience. To what God wants us to do. Does that make sense? But when we do. When we do. We have the ability. To share the good news with others. It becomes believable. It becomes acceptable. To prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Others will believe your testimony when you live that life that pleases God. So find out what it is that pleases him. Just like that dog, he knew what pleased his father, his master. So he he was always willing to do it, more than willing to do it. He was eager to do it. You know, so when we have that relationship with God, that's what it becomes for us. We become eager to please him. We want to please him. I can't think of anything else that I need to say concerning that. I'll just say, do it. Be a God pleaser. Find out what it is. That word "find out" literally means to to prove. You know, like as Holly was telling me, she makes good Wiener Schnitzel. I want to try it. I want to prove it. You know, I didn't come from Missouri, but I think like a Missourian. Show me. See, that's that's what matters, is that we prove what pleases God. We live it out. It becomes the proof to the world that we have a relationship with Him by the way that we live our lives. I mean, you know, you can tell a person who really loves the Lord. You don't have to ask them. It's just evident. It's just evident that they love God. You know, my my wife gets on me all the time because I go to the gym, and she'll say, why are you there so long? I know you wasn't working out for three hours. (laughs) And honestly, a lot of times I go and I don't even get to work out at all. But that's okay. Because there are people that are needy that I have opportunity to pray with. That I can just share the gospel of Jesus with. That's You know, to me, that's more important than working out anyway. That gives me a good excuse. I'm here. I don't have to lift weights. I can talk about Jesus. That's more exciting. (laughs) But it's just a lifestyle, folks. It's, It's just finding out what pleases the Lord and doing it. And Paul goes on to say that we're to live our lives in redeeming the time, knowing that the days are evil, knowing that the days are evil. So, therefore, live wisely, not foolishly. Making the most of every opportunity. If you have those opportunities to prove the goodness of God, do it and live wisely. Don't live foolishly. You know, don't make those bonehead mistakes that really are sin because we know better. Find out what pleases the Lord, do that instead. The first question that should come to our mind whenever we're confronted with sin or when we're tempted is, how is this going to affect my relationship with the Lord? How is it going to affect that? And, you know, I I have not lived a life that's been um, devoid of temptation. And I can remember being presented a situation that involved, and it basically was an invitation to step outside my marriage covenant. And it was a long time ago. And it was very blatant. And the first thought that came to my mind wasn't, wasn't you know, how's it going to affect my relationship with my wife, my family, and those things. First thought that came to my mind is how's it going to affect my relationship with God. And the second thought was, It's going to hurt my wife if I do this stupid thing. The other thing was, I've got a beautiful wife at home. Why even think of it? No, thank you. You know, but the first thought is, and it was the same thought that Joseph had when he was tempted was, how can I do this against my God? That should be the first thought. What pleases him and what displeases him? I tell you, when we think that way, That's a pretty good guard, isn't it? Proverbs 4.23, and I'm done. It says this, and and, and I love this scripture. It's been one of the guiding scriptures in my life is, Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flow forth the issues of life. Above everything else, guard your heart. Guard what you put into it. Guard what you allow to come into your mind, your thinking. Listen, folks, we can't live a spiritual life if we're constantly feeding on the flesh. If we're constantly looking at stuff on television, we know we should not be looking at. If we're listening to stuff we shouldn't be listening to, some of the music that that we hear today is just so laced with profanity and violence and, and adultery and everything else that it's not worth listening to. But whatever you do in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. Knowing this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever it is that you do, you will give an account for it. And I want to tell you that with all seriousness. And I'm telling you that because we're living in a time when people are denying the power of God to change a life. We're living in religious, you know, people can be religious. deny the power of God that changes us and it's all about that it's all about that because as people of God we are called to do one thing above everything else and that's to bear fruit because when Jesus comes that's what he's going to be looking for in our lives is fruit when the son of man comes back will he find faith on the earth because without faith it's what? impossible to please him but with faith it pleases God and when we have faith and confidence in God it makes us desire to please Him above everything else to walk in holiness to exemplify His goodness and His mercy and His kindness and I I heard someone say the other day that you know I was encouraging them to forgive someone who had hurt them in their life and they made the statement but you don't know what they've done to me and I said well I'm going to ask you a question has God forgiven you? What did you do to Him? I'm sure you did things to Him, and as a front to His word, that He never even that you never even thought of, or that person never thought of doing to you. And the Bible says twice, Ephesians four thirty two, and in Colossians it says, "Forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven." How do we do that? Because it pleases God. It pleases God when we forgive and when we learn to love and we learn to walk in love and walk in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Find out what it is that pleases Him and do it. That's the message. Find out what pleases the Lord. Can you do that? I know you can. I want you to stand this morning and I I want to pray this prayer over you again that Paul prayed. Paul prayed this. He says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit. In every good work according to the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. This is God's prayer for you. I pray that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord and that you may please him in every way. Father, I pray this for our people. God, I pray it for myself, Lord, that I can live a life that pleases you in every way, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to bear fruit in every good work and that we would grow in the knowledge of you, that we would be strengthened with all your power according to your glorious might so that we can have great endurance and patience. And and through this, we can joyfully give thanks to you, God, because you qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And Father, I pray this today in the name of Jesus, Lord, and I know, God, that you have made it possible for us. Lead me, Lord. Lead me to the cross. Lead me, Lord. Father, that you can reveal your heart to me, Lord. Lead me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Before we leave this morning, I just want to ask a question. Is there anyone here today who would say to me, Pastor, I, I really struggle in this. I know what you're saying is true, but man, you just don't know my circumstances. You don't know my situations. And, and, and I'm in a situation where it's awfully hard to live the kind of life that you're talking about. Well, I have to raise my hand because all of us are. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, I I really covet your prayers. I need them. I need them. This is hard. It's not easy. Well, Jesus never said it would be easy. But he said it would be possible. Because as we walk by faith, and we walk by the Spirit, and we allow the Spirit of God to touch our lives and to change us, God brings something out of us Lord his fruit begins to become evident in our lives and it's not something we have to struggle with it's just something that comes as a result of the seed of God that's been implanted inside of us it's an impartation of the goodness and the mercy of God I beseech you therefore brother by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice that's the first step would you just Right now, would you just verbalize and say, Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Take me. I want my life to be a sweet-smelling offering to you. I want it to be a beautiful thing in your sight. I covet to please you, Lord, because I love you I love you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray, God, that today, Lord, that we would be strengthened in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, touch us by your Spirit, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Give us the strength, Lord God. Give us the strength. Give us the resolve to walk this out, Lord, to live this life that is pleasing to you in all things, Lord. Father, that we could be the life that you have called us to be in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God.